Are you looking to build your church's group ministry? Get the training and resources you need with All Access, a new plan from the Small Group Network. I'm James Browning with the Small Group Network. For $49 a month or just $4.90 a year, you get All Access to courses, workshops, coaching, and more. Plus, half off all of our in-person events, including The Lobby and Accelerate. And the best part is, All Access is a church-wide license. That means every staff member, every volunteer, and every leader at your church is included for that same price. Head over to smallgroupnetwork.com slash allaccess to learn more and compare plans. All Access is your community unlocked. Hey, what's going on, Leadership Journey listener? Jason Bandoff here, producer of Leadership Journey. We're going to kick it back to April of 2021 with a message called Lessons from Baseball. You know, I thought it was really, really appropriate since baseball season is right around the corner. We pray that this blesses you and your ministry. Welcome to Group Talk. Four shows, one podcast from the Small Group Network, focusing on topics relevant to small group ministries. Whether you're in a church of 100 or 10,000, whether you're a volunteer or staff, we want to support, encourage, and equip you to lead well. So relax, listen, and enjoy Leadership Journey with Bill Search. Well, welcome back to the Leadership Journey. This is your host, Bill Search. It's a real privilege that you've carved out a little bit of time to spend talking, thinking about this big topic of leadership. I don't know about you, but I can't read enough books, articles, uh, hear enough talks about leadership. And maybe that's because as a leader, the tank is always running dry. If you're leading other people, you're expending fuel and you need to be refueled. And so these are just important chats, I think. And as I was reflecting on leadership, I went to an interesting place this uh, most recent month. I was thinking of my 15-year-old son. He's a freshman in high school. And Jack this year did something that was really uncharacteristic of Jack. My son's never been a sports kid. He's been more of a computer kid. Uh, He likes school relative to boys of his age. But uh, I told him this year, coming into this uh, current calendar year, that he had to try something besides just school. And so he decided to go for the baseball team. Now, some of you listening, you're like, well, you know, that's not a big deal. Well, here's the big deal. My kid's never thrown a baseball before May of last year. Literally, in less than 11 months, he went from holding a baseball for the first time. I bought him a mitt last June, and now he's on the team. And uh, it's really been an impressive journey to watch. And again, I'm a proud dad, so, you know, forgive me for bragging a little bit. But the way I kind of see life is, and maybe you're like this too, probably you are like this, because if you're listening to this, I'll bet this is the kind of thing you do. You see a movie, or you have an experience, or you watch somebody, and the next thing is you're kind of bullet pointing some reflective thoughts on it. If you're a journaler, you're journaling. If you're an extrovert like I am, you're processing these things out loud with friends. But this is what a leader does is a leader processes life and thinks about life either from their own experiences or the experiences of others they watch. And so if you'll allow me, I have eight reflections, or maybe I could say lessons from baseball 
But these are lessons that I have learned from baseball, not from playing it myself, but watching my son engage in this thing. So here we go. There's eight. And if you like to take uh, notes on things, you know, in your place, you can do this. This is easy. You know, I'm only going to give you eight. Also, you'll know when I'm about done. So if you're like me, I really like to know when the guy is done or the gal is done. So here we go. Number one, try something new. Try something new. If you're a leader, you can get stuck in a rut. You can do the same old stuff the same old way because you were mentored into it or told how to do it or seen how to do it or maybe it was how your boss tells you to do it or told you to do it or how you did it 25 years ago when you first started doing whatever it is you're doing. But try something new. Try a different approach. That means you got to keep your mind open. You got to have a you got to have a certain degree in which you're willing to learn new things. It's exciting actually. Again, my boy, he, he never held a baseball. And then in the dark days of the pandemic, we were stuck at home with nothing to do. And I dug out my old glove from the 1980s that was still in pretty good shape and, uh, and found a baseball. And I, I had a mitt, I kid you not, I had a mitt from the 1950s. And, uh, so I'm holding the 1950s mitt, which wasn't that easy to catch with. Makes me really impressed with the baseball players back then. But uh, anyhow, we played ball, and then I finally went and bought him a new mitt so that we could. And I'm, I'm telling you what, he stunk. I stunk when we first started doing it. But after a while, we were impressed. We weren't dropping the ball. We were throwing the ball in the right spot. We were throwing the ball further distance. And it all started by trying something new. So that's the first thought, first reflection. The second is uh, risk rejection. This is hard. It, it's not easier when you get older. In fact, I think as you get older, you kind of find your groove and you stick with it. And that's why people don't take risks as they get older. I remember hearing Tony Campalo many years ago, got to be 30 years ago, and he talked about a research project that had been done amongst elderly people. And one of the questions was asked, what would you do differently? And one of the responses is we'd risk more. Why didn't we take more risks? You know, you hit a certain stage in life and it's over. You can't take new risks or there's not many new risks to take. You can't change careers or you can't go out for a big uh, promotion. You hit a certain season of your life and that's that ship has sailed. But there's a, a sweet spot in everybody's life where they they don't want to risk rejection. But that's precisely the thing that a leader should do. And again, I look at my son and, uh, you know, when he went out for the team, here's a kid who's competing with uh, boys who grew up playing Little League. They've been playing it since they were just little guys. And so they're pretty good now. And when he first went out for the team, he wasn't very good at all. But he was willing to risk the rejection. Unfortunately, the, the coaches took a chance on him and placed him on the team. Well, this leads to the third reflection, which is partner with a friend. It really helped Jack that he had a buddy who's a, a pitcher on the team who's been playing it since he was, you know, probably out of diapers. And that kid loved the idea that Jack would be on the team with them. They were classmates. They're friends. They've been friends since, uh, you know, middle school. So as they came into their freshman year together, Will thought it'd be awesome if Jack was on the team with them, welcomed him into the team, introduced him to other guys on the team. And so, you know, partnering with a friend is a great way for risk mitigation is it might not be somebody who's advanced beyond you, but let's say you want to take a risk of starting a new type of small group. Find a partner in the two of you, or the maybe if it's another couple, if you're coupled up, 
Maybe it's four people and now you got the nucleus of a new thing. But partnering up is one of the greatest things you can do in leadership. It, it's, it's just easier than going alone. My friends who, uh, who have had careers in the military tell me these, these little teams of two or three that uh, they get together and they're part of like a, a, a unit within the military. And it's because a solo person is not only, uh, not only the risk for that individual, but also that solo person might find a nice hole and conveniently hide in it. But if you have two or three people, there's always one person going, we can do this. Let's do it. And uh, anyhow find yourself a partner, find a friend, a friend to do this with. Number four, fourth reflection is serve others first. When you get into this thing, when you, um, when you're trying something new in leadership, don't start out from how can this advance my career? Instead, start out with how can this make the lives others lead better? How can I help other people? How can I ease their day? How can I make their life better because of what I'm doing for them? And so uh, one of the things I noticed is uh, with Jack, um, especially in the early days of practice, I'd get there to pick him up from it. And uh, I encouraged him. I said, hey, buddy, you know, in the field house, hold the door open for all the other guys. You're the low man on the totem pole. You're brand new. That's your job. Don't start out in uh, thinking you're in the middle of the pack or towards the top of the pack. You're at the bottom. Reminds me of something Jesus said. You know, Jesus said, if you get invited to a really nice feast, when you show up, don't, don't sit at the head table, sit, sit at the end of the table and then the host will see you there and go, whoa, 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 you're not supposed to be there. You're supposed to be up here. And then it's kind of honoring, but let other people lift you up. And so it started with him just holding the door. And then I noticed not only was he holding the door, but guys were fist bumping him, hitting him in the arm. Uh, that that uh, they were appreciative of the efforts he was putting forth. I encouraged him to encourage others. Just say, hey, you know, if, if nice hit, nice catch. Just say something encouraging. Most people live in a very discouraging universe. Most of us look at our failures far, far more than we look at our successes. That's almost everybody. And so if you can say an encouraging word to somebody, it's pretty remarkable how they'll respond. And sure enough, those guys on the team responded. You serve others first. Uh, fifth reflection on baseball. Find a mentor. I mean, you have coaches, right? But find a mentor. Find somebody on the team who does whatever it is you want to learn how to do, and they do it well. And then you ask them, how, 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 do, you do, how do you do that? You know, what, what are the processes? What are the steps? What are the things that you do? Because so, I want to do what you do. So can you coach me? you know, peer to peer. First of all, mentors usually find that uh, really honoring. You know, I'm, I'm old enough now and there's enough gray on the side of my head that uh, when a younger uh, pastor or a younger ministry director, whether it's somebody I work with here at my church or whether it's somebody who I meet on the small group network, uh, Facebook group or, or, uh, you know, through the different small group network relationships, I'm, I'm, I'm always touched when someone says, Hey, I'd, I'd love to learn, you know, whatever it is. And uh, most of the time I feel like, what do I got to give? You know, I don't, I don't, I'm still learning myself, but, but that's the joy of asking someone to mentor you is that most of the time they're honored to do it. They're humbled to do it. And most of the time they will do it. Most of the time they would, 
they would do it. I was just dumb enough in my early days of ministry to assume everybody would be willing to do that. And so I would go to small group conferences, meet people who were just ahead of me. So what I would do is like, you know, I was part of a fast growing church. And I remember our church maybe at that time was 1,500, 2,000 people or something. So I found a church of just shy of 5,000 out in Las Vegas. And I had to convince my executive pastor, hey, uh, rather than go to a conference this year, would you would you allow me to spend my professional development funds flying to Vegas? I promise I'm not I'm not going to hit the casinos. I stayed in them, but I'm not going to hit the casinos. I'm going to a church. I probably was the only guy who flew into Vegas to go to church all week long. <laughs> but but um, that mentor, his name's Kent Kent Oder. Uh, Kent, uh, it was a church called Canyon Ridge, uh, Mark Howell, who's on the small group network. Uh, Mark is the small groups guy there at Canyon Ridge. Great, great, great church, uh, multi-site church there in, uh, Las Vegas. But when Kent was there, I, I went and Kent was ahead of me in life and he was ahead of me in ministry. And so I would call Kent all the time. And then Kent was calling me, you know, I mean, a mentor checks on the mentee and, it it made a big, big difference in how I process ministry. It helped me become self-reflective, move from the operations of doing the thing to thinking about what it was I was doing and how I could do the thing better. And that's what a mentor does is they, the mentor lifts up your eyes. You know, you're up there at the plate, if we're talking back into the baseball metaphor here, and you just keep striking out. And a mentor says, well, here's, you have a timing issue, you have a posture issue, maybe it's your stance issue. But a mentor, they want to see you hit that ball. They want to, they want to see you succeed. And so the, the mentor is giving you, they're, they're investing in you. It's not just you go to the dugout and go, hey, what did I do wrong? The mentor now is standing by the fence and they're looking, they're watching, they're watching you. They might be sitting down in the dugout when other people are up there batting, but the mentor is looking at that mentee. I know I do it for others now. And so find yourself a mentor. Number six, control your attitude. This was something I had to talk about with my son early on. I noticed that uh, after practice, his head was held down. I mean, it was almost like looking down at his shoes. And uh, I could tell in the first week or so, he wasn't having a whole lot of fun. And I was thinking, this is not good. Because if you're not having fun, then you're going to quit doing it. It's very hard to continue to do something voluntarily that's just not enjoyable. And so um, the, one of the things, though, if you're a parent, you know this, is kids don't know the things that will actually, that they'll love later. It's sort of like a, a menu item. You know, you think about all the weird things on the menu that you've come to love and somebody was like, try it. And you're like, it looks weird. It smells weird. I don't think it's going to be good. It's, uh, for me, I'll tell you on the menu, it's Brussels sprouts. Never had a Brussels sprout until about mm, two, three months ago. And then a friend brought the Brussels sprouts to our small group gathering and uh, I, they were fantastic. I thought, well, I got to try them. I'd never tried one before. I thought, worst case scenario, I spit it back out. Well, it turned out to be amazing. I love Brussels sprouts now. That is if you prepare them correctly. I'm not going to like just pop a raw Brussels sprout in my mouth and chew it. That's gross. But I'm talking, if it's prepared well, it's going to be good. So, um, you know, you you got to control your attitude about these things. If you have a negative attitude, then you're going to hate it, right? So if your boss asks you to take on a new responsibility and it just doesn't feel like you know what you're doing and you don't feel like you're doing well, then you're going to hate the thing. And so I noticed this, that after practice, my son's head was down and I, I pulled him in after practice and I said, you know, Jack, here's the deal. 
Um, what most people don't realize is that uh, the difference between the person with the head down and the head held high is the person with the head held high, they just decide, I'm going to keep my head up. It's not because they think, well, that went fantastic. No, in fact, sometimes after incredible failure, one of the most mature, courageous things you can do is keep the head up, keep a smile on your face, and look people in the eye. I, I um I'm the, uh, my kids affectionately call me the pastor of announcements. I've always served large churches. And for the last 25 years, I've been one of the announcement hosts in church. It's kind of a funny job. And sometimes I coach other announcement people. And I always tell them, you step on the the middle of that stage, you pretend there's a string on the top of your head, like a, like you're a puppet being pulled up. So that keeps your posture up. And I said, and always smile, get the best, most natural smile you can. It's hard to smile when you're telling people, would you text in and let us know you're here? It's not the kind of thing that would put a smile on anybody's face. It's kind of a dull announcement, quite frankly. But people respond to the warmth of the person up there. And it's not theatrics. It's it's like, well, why wouldn't you smile? It's a church worship service. You, you get to have this incredible privilege of serving. And there's people there. It, it, and that's amazing. And, and so just be warm anyhow. So it's attitude, control your attitude. And sometimes we think our attitude controls us and it sure does, but we have a choice to make and that's, are we going to control the attitude? So I told my son, I was like, Hey, after practice, I don't want to see your head down anymore. Keep the head up. Um, put as best of a, of a smile or smirk on your face that looks like I know what's up. And he did. And, you know, he told me, and this is, you know, a, a parent, I'm just going to brag for a minute because it's like one of those, you know, you got to, you got to celebrate these little victories as a parent from time to time. And uh, he told me, he's like, dad, you were right. You know, I changed my attitude about it and it, I really like it now. I mean, I'm, in, I'm having fun now. And deep down inside, I was like, yes, you know, but I was like, well, thank you for sharing that, Jack. That's, I'm so glad you're having a good time. But I, if I wasn't driving the minivan at the time, I would have done a victory dance. I I was just so thankful that that worked, but it does work. My friends, if you're having a miserable time, control your attitude. All right. That's number six. Number seven, practice, practice, practice. There's just no substitute for it. You can't read enough leadership books and then just enter the arena and be a great leader. You can't. I know. Wouldn't it be great if you could? Wouldn't it be great like if you've seen that movie, The Matrix, where they you know plug in that weird so- in the b- socket in the back of uh, the head of the people, and then they could like learn how to fly a helicopter? I mean, that'd be really cool, right? It doesn't work that way. It never works that way. That's what, why that's a fantasy. If you don't know, Matrix is a fantasy film. It's not a, it's not a biographical film, you know, just to be clear here. Hopefully that made you laugh. Uh, but you got to practice. You got to practice and you got to practice. If you're leading a discussion, you got to practice leading a discussion. Then afterwards, you have to grab a person or two and go, what went well? What, what could I have done better to lead that discussion? When, when you're done doing whatever it is you're tasked to do as a leader, then you ask somebody, how did that go? How'd it go? Give me some coaching. Go ahead, be honest. And have some thick skin. Don't grab tissue and cry because they say, well, you did this wrong or this wrong. Just go, okay. You're never going to get better if nobody points out what you need to get better at. I'm a talker. 
you probably have figured that out by now because I can fill up all kinds of airspace all by myself here. But um, as an extrovert, if you remember that old Myers-Briggs personality inventory, there's extroverts and introverts in the top of the scales, like 45 in either category. I'm a 48 extrovert. I once had a conversation. It was a riveting conversation with this guy in a department store before I realized it was a mannequin. That's a joke. I stole that joke from a comedian. Um, but uh, I just feel like I should give credit to somebody else. But but the point is this, is that um, I learned as an extrovert that if I'm not careful, I could dominate a room. And so I had to learn. I had people who love me who were like, Bill, shut up. And so I would start to uh, develop. I, I read up on it. I got some coaching on how to deal with that. And uh, and nobody's going to be confused about my extroversion, but I'm not out of control as I once was. I like humor. You might have caught on to that. I like to make jokes. And uh, I remember a friend of mine saying, hey, you know what? When you're preaching or teaching, your your humor sometimes takes a real serious point and then just completely dilutes it because you want to make people laugh. And there's like this serious moment and then you mess it up. And I remember I hurt. I remember thinking, well, you're just not funny. You're just jealous. But I had to be honest there, you know, there's points in the scripture where, where Jesus uses humor, you know, like the, Hey, before you address the sawdust in somebody's eye, address the log in your own. People probably laughed. I mean, that's funny. It's lost on us as far as humor, but that was probably first century humor right there. There were some different things that were said that were comical, but, but when the, when the point was supposed to land and it was supposed to cause some heart surgery, then that's the time to be serious. And I, I had to learn that. But again, that that's through practice, 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 failure, practice again, failure again, practice, failure again, practice a little bit of success, but you have to practice. So, I mean, even now I'm, I'm out there the other day, Jack said, Hey dad, can you, uh, he's in, he's an outfielder. So he said, Hey, can you throw me some balls? Can you throw me some grounders? Can you, these are things that, uh, I delighted my heart because it wasn't just having a catch, but he was like, I want you to help me practice on a particular skill set when I'm out there. Practice, practice, practice. That's, that's reflection number seven. And then the final reflection number eight, this one's so important. It's to stay humble. It's to, regardless of what comes, stay humble. Now, Jack's freshman. He's not the Grand Slam slugger. He's not the greatest player on the team. He holds his own. Okay. Um, he's not the star. He's not, uh, he's not a starter. He's holding his own. He's right where he ought to be as a freshman. And I'm very proud of that. Um, but, but there's a, there's a, a humility that must be maintained by the leader or they will become impossible to live with. And there'll be failures as leaders. So as you get good at this, as you take a risk and, uh, and you partner up and you, you, you start to serve others and through mentorship, you start to like get better. And then, you know, you, your attitude is, is something that helps drive you forward. And you've practiced enough that you, you become a natural. I mean, in fact, you become so natural. Now you're mentoring other people you, you enter situations and there's not a chill up your spine. Like, what am I going to do? You actually know what you're doing now. You go, you hear leadership seminars and you think hmm, you missed one because that's where you're at now. Don't be a jerk. I mean, don't derail this thing through pride. Scripture is just replete with people who messed up because they started to think 
I'm awesome. Never get that. Jesus is awesome. You're not. We are not. We we are commissioned to be stewards, to be shepherds, um, to be servants. But that ought to be 100% clear. The Apostle Paul, he called himself a slave. He used the word doulos, which was a, a, just a, he, he just said, hey, this is my role in the kingdom of God. I'm a slave of Jesus. And uh, I think that was a grounding thing for him. That's probably something that he prayed a lot. Lord, keep me grounded, you know. And so stay humble in your leadership journey. Stay humble. Well, hopefully, um, hopefully, whether you like baseball or not, uh, hopefully some of those reflective thoughts, hopefully there was one of them or two of them that really stood out to you. And as you are on this journey, uh, hopefully this was an encouragement to you. And on the, on the Facebook page, uh, I'd love to hear from you. If you're on that Facebook group, you, you see that I, uh, I interact on there too. So I'd love for you to drop a comment, which of these, which of these, uh, stuck out to you or, uh, or what would you add to that list? Boy, that'd be a great, great conversation to have. Well, as always, it's a privilege to be with you and thank you for carving out the time to be on this leadership journey. I've been your host, Bill Search. So glad to spend a little bit of time with you. God bless you on your journey. Thank you for listening to Group Talk. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and get new episodes downloaded automatically. Also, if you enjoy this program, please take a few minutes to give us a positive rating on iTunes so that other small group point people can find us more easily. We encourage you to visit our website, smallgroupnetwork.com, to access our library of free resources, connect to a huddle with other small group ministry leaders in your area, read our blog articles, or join us on our Facebook group. Don't forget to use the hashtag SGNet when engaging with your social media channels. Thank you for your support. Hi, it's James Browning again. I wanted to let you know that we have a big event coming up this July. We are combining our Align and Accelerate training workshops for small group point people just like you. Day one will feature Align, a training overview of small group ministry covering the big pictures and strategies of small group ministry, plus how to align it with your church's mission and vision. It's perfect for those new or returning to small group ministry. Days two and three are Accelerate, an intensive workshop that dives deep into small group strategies. You and your team will come out with a 12 to 18 month plan for your small groups. This workshop is perfect for churches who want to take their existing small group ministry to the next level. This event takes place at the Saddleback Rancho Retreat Center in beautiful San Juan Capistrano, California. Lodging and lunches are included. You have the flexibility of choosing to attend Align or Accelerate or get a discounted rate for attending both. Oh, and if you happen to be an all-access member, your whole team always gets 50% off. So we'll see you this July 11th through 13th at Align and Accelerate. For more information, go to smallgroupnetwork.com slash conferences or check it out in the show notes.